0: I have always loved computers. I've always loved tech. And it wasn't something that I ever thought that I could do. You know, no one turned to me and said, you can be a software engineer if you want.
1: Welcome to The Story Exchange, featuring the stories and strategies of entrepreneurial women around the world. I'm Colleen DeBase. And I'm Sue Williams.
2: Today, we're talking about women in tech. The numbers are pretty dismal. They
1: are. Only about 3% of tech startups are founded by women. There are a lot of guys mm. in Silicon Valley. Which is exactly why we wanted to explore this issue. Absolutely. Today we're going to share the stories of three different women who are bucking the trend and succeeding in the tech world. We produce video profiles of all three that you can watch on our site, thestoryexchange.org. Today we're going to share snippets of those conversations. You're going to hear about some challenges that these entrepreneurs face, but you'll probably
2: also be struck by the uniquely female perspectives that they bring to tech. All three are making products or providing services that the average guy just might not think of.
3: Playday Digital is a kids' entertainment education company.
0: Style C is a platform for entrepreneurs in the beauty space.
4: CellScope is for a parent at home who thinks their kid may have an ear infection. They can take our device and put it in their kid's ear.
1: When you have more women in tech, you have more innovation. Different types of innovation. Because they naturally have female customers in mind, and they want to solve female pain points. Yeah, like, like the breast pump, for instance. Lots of women complain that there's not a good one on the market.
2: That's probably because we don't have a lot of female engineers designing good ones. And if we do it's hard for those women to find investors. Yeah, most investors are men
1: who might be a little squeamish about a product (laughs) like that. Yep. So we have a ways to go. In today's show, we hope to raise awareness of the lack of women in tech. But at the same time, we also want to encourage women and girls to chase their startup dreams, particularly if they've got a new idea for technology that can improve the lives of other women. (music)
2: Our series begins with Sean Kondawala. She's actually not in Silicon Valley, but here in New York, which has its own flourishing tech scene.
3: I knew I wanted to start my own business. I knew that I wanted to create something. I wanted to work on a product. I wanted to get into the nuts and bolts of a company.
2: Sean runs a company called Playdate Digital. She develops apps for kids that are based on popular characters from Hasbro, the famous toy company. She's on track to make a million dollars in annual revenue.
3: We create book apps, for example, around My Little it's Pony. In the ever-free forest! You bring the story to life through tappable interactions on the iPad. Bounced! We're using these devices to bring the characters the kids love to life in an educational way.
2: Now, Sean is from Pakistan originally. That's an important detail because, if you think about it, There are perhaps some surprising similarities, on a small level at least, between a place like Pakistan, which is male-dominated, and the U.S. tech scene, which is also famously populated almost exclusively by men.
3: I grew up in a country where there were so many restrictions placed on women. Some of my best friends had much more conservative upbringings than I did. You know, my parents were very supportive, were very open-minded, and always encouraged us, so I had that benefit.
2: Shawn learned to challenge gender norms at a very young age, as a teenager in Karachi.
3: I was the captain of the national swimming team. I had the record for the 50-meter freestyle. So I was selected to represent Pakistan in the 96 Olympic Games. Of course, I was very excited. I didn't expect to win a medal at the Olympic Games, but just to be able to be then to represent my country was was exciting.
2: But it was not meant to be.
3: Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to swim in the games. Because at the time, Pakistan didn't want a woman swimming in the Olympics. The fact that I would be swimming in a swimsuit in front of a male audience on a world scale wasn't in the cards at that time. Someone in the government basically withdrew my entry. Was it gut-wrenching and was it disappointing? Of course it was.
2: Sean handled the disappointment by throwing all her energy into school. First, she went to Wellesley College in the States, and then Harvard Business School. She spent a few years working at Hasbro and also Nickelodeon. It was in 2012 that she decided to start Playdate Digital here in the heart of New York City. But once again, just like in Pakistan, she found herself standing out as a woman.
3: There's an interesting stat about how less than 5% of VC-funded companies are women founded. So there's definitely a dearth, especially in my space, I'd say there are more males than than females. One study
2: we found by AppCelerator, which is a mobile tech company, found that even though women purchase most apps, 96% of all mobile app developers are male, most between the ages of 20 and 29. Sean stood out even further when, a short while after launching her startup, she became pregnant with her daughter. And that's when the tone of meetings with potential investors, partners, clients, most of them male, began to change. Many questioned her commitment. She got a lot of dismissive attitudes. That surprised her, as she comes from a long line of female entrepreneurs.
3: So my grandmother is 94 years old, and you know, she's an amazing woman. She got a degree in chemistry and geology. And she was the only woman in her department in India. She and my grandfather decided to start up a, a business. Today it's a third generation industrial chemical manufacturer. She was very much the driving force in the company. She still is to this day. Sean
2: relied on her experience crossing boundaries in Pakistan to deal with the questioning she got in New York's Silicon Alley. She would tell naysayers.
3: My mother has always worked and she worked in her family business. Business was, has always been part of our blood.
2: In the end, Sean lost a potential partner, a fellow Harvard grad who she thought was going to manage Playdate Digital's business side. He didn't believe a woman could do both things, be a mom and focus on a startup. So we've been looking at Sean Kandwala and her story is remarkable.
1: Yeah, she's from Pakistan's elite Zoroastrian community. It's a very tiny community, but one where education is important, not just for men, but for women. Yeah, well, that explains how she got to Harvard.
2: Let's take a look at how she started her business, as it it really highlights how much she brings to the table.
1: Yeah, a lot of app developers, the stereotypical guy wearing a hoodie, don't have nearly the experience Sean has.
3: While I was at Harvard, I identified Hasbro as a company that I was interested in, and I was fascinated by the family business that Hasbro was and how we all grew up with Hasbro brands. My Little Pony, G.I. Joe, Play-Doh, all the board games, Monopoly, Scrabble, Clue. So I joined Hasbro right after HBS. I was a brand manager so we worked with the creative teams and the packaging and marketing and licensing. So really it was a great job for me to be able to see how the whole ecosystem worked. After two years,
2: Sean moved to New York to join Nickelodeon, managing its digital gaming business.
3: While I was in Nickelodeon, I was also managing some of the mobile businesses for preschool. It was amazing to sit in focus groups with kids and just see how they were adopting this technology. These devices that didn't exist before opened up a whole new world of learning, of entertainment, of engagement.
2: She was inspired by the fact that Nickelodeon worked with a lot of startup developers. So in 2012, when she had an idea for digital storybooks, she decided, why not start her own company?
3: I was very fortunate because I have a colleague at Nickelodeon who shared my vision.
1: That's amazing. It was (laughs) a man
3: by the name (laughs) of Steve Greeter. He basically said, you write a business plan and come back to me in a week?
2: Greeter liked her plan. He decided to invest $350,000 in Playdate Digital, and he joined Sean as her angel and her co-founder. The two spent about a year setting up the business, pitching investors and using connections at Hasbro to secure a licensing deal, allowing them to turn popular characters into storybook apps.
3: I think I was like eight and a half months pregnant when I did our final pitch at Hasbro. And right before Ria was born, we were actually awarded the business. What I think is
1: interesting is that being a mom far from being a disadvantage, probably gives Sean a leg up on the competition.
2: Yeah, exactly, she says the same thing, let's listen.
3: I mean, my daughter, who's one and a half years old, is able to fully navigate my devices. <laughs> Which is scary and exciting at the same time. You know, starting a business like Playdate Digital, it's, it's a profession, but it's also personal. I'm a mom and I care about what my kid is learning and how she's interacting with stuff.
2: I can tell you, as a journalist, I've spent a lot of time at incubators and accelerators, even pitch competitions at places like South by Southwest. And
1: you don't see a lot of women, and you definitely don't see a lot of moms. And that needs to change. So tell us, how's Sean's company doing now? Very well. I recently asked her for an
2: update. She's now released 12 apps. They're all available on iTunes and Google Play. She has a team of developers working for her. And uh, she tells me this year Playdate Digital is focusing on becoming more global and customizing its apps for different languages and
1: different countries. And uh, on a personal note, she's pregnant with her second child. Oh, that's nice. And it sounds like she's doing amazingly well. And so hopefully we're going to see more women making it in the tech world, people who didn't have to deal with such blatant discrimination like Sean did in Pakistan and even in New York. Here's some last thoughts from Sean.
3: I believe in change. I believe that women can be a catalyst for change. I've been around women who have been pioneers in their respective spaces. You know, so that's exciting to me. I like to push boundaries where I can. You'll also come back to bite me, I'm sure. But meanwhile, I'm okay with it.
1: We're back. The lack of women in tech has become part of the national conversation. A lot of people are talking about it. It's even made its way into comedy routines. Here's an excerpt from a performance by Ophira Eisenberg, who you may know as the host of NPR's Ask Me Another.
3: I supported my volunteer comedy career um, by working in IT. I would go out to little offices, some of them were architecture firms or uh, hedge fund companies or advertising agencies and and fix their computers. Everything was basically like, I can't get my mail. Uh, But because I would walk in and because I guess I was IT pretty, I wore a little bit of makeup, I had a pair of sequins flats that I enjoyed wearing at the time. When I walked in and they saw me, everyone was very suspicious. They were like, "Uh, are you sure you're the computer person? Uh, Especially the hedge fund companies. Those guys did not want want me near their computer. Sometimes they would ask me if I was the girlfriend or wife of the computer tech, that I guess I was coming there early because he forgot his lunch. Like, I don't know why that even makes sense (laughs) that I was there.
1: So she's keeping it light, but really, it's obvious she's dealt with the issues we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a funny, smart bit. So meanwhile, let's keep talking about women in tech. Did you know the very first computer programmer was a woman? I did, Ada Lovelace. And she wrote instructions for the first computer program way back in the 1800s.
2: Indeed. Even the Pentagon has named its programming language Ada after her. It was a good start
1: for women in tech. Unfortunately, things went downhill.
2: Yeah. In this segment, we're going to take a look at some of the reasons why, after such an auspicious start, we see so few women in tech. And why, when there are women in tech, just as you heard Ophira recount, no one can believe it. Back in the 1970s, when computer science courses were first taught, there was actually pretty good representation of women at first. But then the
1: numbers started to slide around 1984. One theory is that when the personal computer came on the market, which was right about that time, it was heavily marketed to a male audience. Yeah,
2: exactly. So somehow computer science became a boy thing. Research shows that girls, even today, are subtly steered away from the male fields like math or science
1: and encouraged to study more female fields like arts and humanities. And so by the time those girls go to college, they're far behind the boys, who've already learned much more about programming or coding or even become whiz-kid computer scientists. And so these young women, even if they have an interest in computer science, are treated differently by faculty. Most don't pursue it at the college level at all. So that gets us to Melody McCloskey, who
2: is a young tech entrepreneur that we profiled in the San Francisco Bay Area.
0: Building software, you have to be very precise and you have to really strive for excellent product to make your customer happy. Let me tell you a few
2: things about Melody. She's raised $14 million in venture capital for StyleSeat, which is an online booking platform for beauty salon professionals. She founded the company, along with Dan Levine, a developer, in 2011. It's grown quickly. Some 300,000 stylists now use it, and the company has hired about 30 employees.
0: We want to completely transform this industry. You know, we want to be just what LinkedIn is for the business industry. We want to be that for beauty professionals and for this space. And we're going to make a lot of moves to position ourselves to be incredibly valuable, to be as big as we possibly can.
2: We like her confidence, but, and this is important, Melody's career in tech was almost derailed by, of all things, AP computer science, as in the advanced placement course she took in high school back in 2002 in suburban San Francisco.
0: I have always loved computers. I've always loved tech. Most of my friends were software engineers growing up in middle school and in high school. I ended up taking a AP computer science course. I was really excited about it. I actually loved the curriculum in the class, but I was the only woman in the class, and there was a lot of pressure.
2: We asked Melody to tell us a little bit more about the pressure. There was a spotlight that was placed on
0: me, and the teacher didn't know how to treat me, and the other boys were always crowding around and wanting to work with me and be my partner, and it was just too intense for me, especially when you're shy. It was a different dynamic than any of my other classes in biology or math or English or things like that.
2: So Melody eventually dropped the course. Her story really illustrates how, even today, not enough is done to make girls feel welcome in computer science. It's not like overt sexism necessarily. It's far more subtle than that. Keep in mind, we're talking about teenagers here, not adults who might be able to
0: handle being different or standing out. I really wish that high schools today pushed um, math and science on women and made them feel comfortable. It sounds odd to say that, but I do think that if the environment was a little bit different, I would have continued the class.
1: The good news is that Melody ultimately wound up pursuing a career in tech.
2: Yeah, though it did take her a while to get there. First she went to UC Davis where a guidance counselor said, you're a girl, you have great social skills, you should try public relations.
1: Boy, she really didn't get
2: any encouragement. It's amazing. No, she definitely did not. So after college, she did try PR but didn't really like it. Finally, she took a job managing online content for a television channel. It was a technical job and she loved it. Here's what
0: she said. I was tasked with taking these television shows, figuring out how they're going to live on the internet, I had engineers. Um, I was helping to build all the backend CMS, like really nerdy stuff. that was actually pretty complex. So it was really fun for me. And I was working until 11 p.m. at night regularly and loved my work and loved the product. That got Melody thinking about starting her own company. The benefit of being in San Francisco is that you can't throw a rock and not hit like five engineers and a, and a founder. My friends were talking about, raising money, building minimum viable product. How do I hire? How do I get the best engineering talent? What are the technologies that you're using?
2: Her inspiration for Style Seat came from a few bad haircuts.
0: I got three haircuts in color in a row. So ultimately, I spent $1,000, and every time, I just wasn't that happy with the results. And then I ended up going to someone who was amazing. And the difference in happiness from when's my next appointment, you know, with someone else to I feel like my best self, I feel confident. So I wanted to figure out a way where I could help more women feel that amazing
2: feeling. Melody imagined a website where consumers could search for stylists, read reviews and book appointments, something of a Yelp meets open table for hair salons and spas.
0: She asked her old colleague and software engineer Dan to help. They said, I'd love for you to be my co-founder. Here's the prototype. This is the vision. What do you think? And he said, yes. And I was like, OK, well, but you're going to have to quit your job. And actually, I can't pay you. I have no money. And this is going to be really hard, and we'll probably have to bootstrap. And he said, yes. And I was like, well, maybe you should think about it a little bit. Like, we might need some investment from you to get this going. And he's like, yes, I already said yes. And with that, Style Seat was born. They worked in the time-honored startup way. Dan and I were working seven days a week, did not take weekends off. We were working from nine or 10 in the morning until two at night. We ended up bootstrapping for the first year and a half of the business. And that certainly wasn't because we didn't want to raise money. It was because raising money was a huge challenge for us. Now, raising venture capital
1: is really difficult for any entrepreneur. But Melody faced a double problem. She was a woman in tech, and she was running a startup aimed at women. Yeah, let's listen.
0: The vast majority of investors in the space are male. And so they see this woman come in with this lady app, or this app that's really focused on female entrepreneurs and needs of you know, mostly women, and they just don't get it. And so much feedback initially was, I don't think women really want this or need this. Plus, about 20% of VCs in Silicon Valley are bald, so they don't think about problems that arise with hair. (laughs) So, well, she's right about the hair, or lack of it. (laughs) She is. But in terms of male investors
2: not getting it, I've heard this from other female tech entrepreneurs. When Alexis Maybank of Guild Group was pitching to VCs, they often told her, Let me go home and ask my wife what she thinks of your concept. Gosh. Well, it would be a lot easier if we had more female investors. Yeah, exactly. So in Melody's case, she was lucky in that she had a friend, Garrett Camp, who's the co-founder of Uber. He believed in her and gave her $10,000 in seed money to get started. So while she was still trying to raise money, she was also trying to get Silas to sign up for her service. So she hosted parties where she would serve free champagne, which of course is always a draw, and show PowerPoint presentations on how to use StyleSeat. She was able to triple her user base in just a year doing that. And that got some high-profile investors interested.
0: Guy Ossieri and Ashton Kutcher, who came in really early, the first second that I pitched it to them over the phone, they were like, yes, obviously this needs to exist. And then since then we've brought on Sophia Bush as an investor. Guy
2: Siri is the manager of Madonna and U2, and Ashton Kutcher and Sophia Bush, of course,
1: are actors. And to think, this might not have happened because of her AP computer science experience. Yeah, exactly. So today, there are more organizations
2: helping girls and women make progress in tech. Girls Who Code, Astia, Springboard Enterprises. Melody believes, from her own experience, that groups like these are
0: invaluable. Just having a community of women that were supportive of each other or just making it an issue would have been helpful. A lot of guys that I know early on were kind of pushed to do that. It was like all the cool kids are software developers. That's what it was in my high school at least, but that wasn't necessarily the same for women. And so I think the more we can help them feel comfortable and excited and thrilled and understand the opportunity around that, the better it is.
2: We've been looking at women in tech and the challenges they face. We're going to close today by looking at the promise and potential for innovation that arises when the female perspective is present. Sue, I know this topic is
1: near and dear to your heart. It it is. I wrote an op-ed for Inc. Magazine last year when Lego released a revolutionary new toy, which were figurines of female scientists. It didn't surprise me that they were designed by a woman. Dr. Ellen Coogeman, a geochemist, who'd played with Lego sets as a child and noticed there weren't any figures that looked like her. And, of course, we're talking about toys there, but as you noted in your op-ed, when
2: we start to look at innovation in all the STEM fields, particularly medicine,
1: it becomes way more serious when women aren't part of the picture. Exactly. For instance, for years, medical research was done almost exclusively on men. And that sometimes led to alarming and even fatal outcomes. Women's bodies can react differently to medicine than men's. The sleeping drug Ambien is a well-known example. The FDA now recommends that women take only half the dose because we don't metabolize it as fast. Women were actually waking up and doing things like driving cars with the drugs still in their system. Wow, wow. Well, the good news is that we're seeing more female entrepreneurs designing
2: medical devices and treatments with women in mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we headed to San Francisco to speak with Amy Shung, who's a Stanford-educated mechanical engineer and co-founder of a medical company called CellScope. And she's a mom. Listen to how that influenced her company's first product.
4: I remember when my son had his first ear infection, taking a half day off of work, taking him into the doctor's office, you know, sitting in the waiting room, finally getting in, the doctor takes a quick millisecond peek inside my kid's ear and then tells me, oh, yeah, your kid has an ear infection. And I thought, wow, this could be addressed in such a better way. Amy and her co-founder Eric Douglas came up with CellScope. CellScope is a smartphone-enabled medical toolkit. A parent at home who thinks their kid may have an ear infection, all they need to do is, is take our device and attach it to their phone, put it in their kid's ear, and then using our app, they can very, very quickly capture a video, and then it gets sent to either their doctor or
1: another doctor for a remote review. Unlike many women, Amy was encouraged to pursue science when she was just a kid. I was always interested in math and science. A lot
4: of it came from the home. Both of my parents studied physics and then they applied it in their career. My father made science really come alive for me and uh, my mom would be invited to present her scientific papers at various conferences and she would pull me out of school and we would
1: go. After college, Amy worked for cutting-edge biotech companies, helping develop an artificial heart and automated microscopes. In 2009, she heard about a project at Berkeley where bioengineers were building cell phone-based microscopes for doing remote diagnoses for diseases like tuberculosis and malaria in developing countries.
4: We were doing these pilots in Vietnam or Uganda, and it was really the tremendous response and feedback that we were getting from the field. I remember we were just having this discussion saying, how can we make an impact even closer to home? We really wanted to be able to
1: get these products you know, out of the lab and into the real world. With the support of Berkeley, Amy and her co-founder Eric launched CellScope for US consumers in 2011. They started with the smartphone Otoscope as their first product. Ear infections are
4: such a huge pain point for so many families. There's around 20 million ear infection-related visits in the U.S. alone each year. We'd go out and talk to doctors, talk to parents, get their feedback on on the device, and so we were constantly tweaking it and making improvements. Yeah, so It'll be better on the new one. Yeah, that feels pretty good, though. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's a lot better than like. This. We would do
4: a lot of ear exams on each other. I think we probably
1: have image to our ears the most of anybody. Amy's company is off to a great start, which I think is really exciting because using mobile technology the way they are could really transform the medical industry. To date, they've raised $5.6 million for CellScope and signed up 800 doctors to use it. The next challenge will be getting parents to sign up for it.
4: How do you get a mom or dad who has never used an otoscope, doesn't even know what an otoscope is, to be able to do this from their home? And so there are a lot of things that our team has had to think about in terms of how can we make the system, both from hardware and software, to be as simple as possible. Amy's
2: story is great. It really demonstrates how a woman's life experience, especially as a mom, can
1: influence innovation. Exactly. It's not like a dad couldn't do this, but women by and large are still the primary caretakers of their families. They're the ones who know firsthand where there's gaps in the marketplace for certain products or devices. Here's some last thoughts from Amy about that.
4: I was having young kids right around the time that my company was taking off. Um, I think what I bring is a perspective of I'm a real user, I'm a customer.
1: And as a startup entrepreneur, Amy really believes that being exposed to science as a young girl made all the difference.
4: I can only speak for my own experience, and it really was being shown from such a young age that I can tinker and try things and and learn about how how things work. I just never questioned that I could do it or that women could do it.
1: Our thanks to all the women, Sean Kondawala, Melody McCloskey, and Amy Shung for sharing their stories. We especially thank
2: them for being so candid about being women in tech. Sometimes it's not easy to talk
1: about the challenges. We appreciate that they did. And we appreciate you listening. I'm Sue Williams. And I'm Colleen Tabase. Join us next time to hear more stories about innovative and inspirational women doing things you'd never dream of, or maybe you would. This has been The Story Exchange. If you like what you've heard, visit our website at thestoryexchange.org where you'll find news, videos, and tips for women entrepreneurs. Thanks to Ophira Eisenberg for the use of her comedy clip. The excerpt comes from a taping of the
2: Risk podcast, which people can find at www.risk-show.com. Editing help provided by Nusha Balian. Production coordinator is Michelle Ciada. Interview recorded by Sam Shin. Executive producers are Sue Williams and Victoria Wong.